Let us go to the Lord once again in prayer. <clears throat> Father, you are our light and you are our salvation. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the privilege that it is to hear your word, to sing your word, to proclaim your word. Lord, we know many in other countries right now will get persecuted at the, at the thought of even mentioning you. But Lord, you have granted us this moment, this time, to hear from you. Please be with us. Let us not take this for granted. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Lord's word reads this. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen? Amen. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. This city, which is known to be full of brotherly love, this city, so recognized that the songwriter wrote this. In West Philadelphia, born and raised, on the playground was where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool, and shooting some b-ball outside of school. When a couple of guys who were up to no good 
started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight and my mom got scared. She said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. Now, before we go too off course, many of us know these lyrics. But the irony within the song is for a place to be known for or as a city of brotherly love, seemed like the songwriter didn't experience it, especially on that particular playground. Apparently, there was no loyalty to him. There was no devotion to him. Despite the hardships he faced, his mom thought it would be better for him to move to a different city. However, in New Testament times, there was a church, though. There was a church known for its faithfulness, known for its devotion to God, and known for its obedience to God's word. This was the church located in Philadelphia, and it is about this church that we are going to hear about today. If you haven't done so, once again, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13 is our text today. And in this passage, the Apostle John draws our attention to three instructions for these believers that should aid us in being a faithful church until Christ's return. Three instructions for these believers that should aid us in being a faithful church until Christ's return. His first instruction is this, remember who's in control, verse seven. Remember who's in control. He continues in verses eight through 10 with remain committed. Remain committed. And lastly, in verses 11 through 13, recall his coming. Remember who's in control? Remain committed and recall his coming. Look with me now as we begin our journey through this passage in verse 7. This is the sixth message once again directed to a particular being. In verse seven, it says, to the angel. Now, we have discussed this at length in previous messages. So I invite you, if you have time, to listen to those found on our website. And for brevity's sake, we are just gonna say, this is written to the angel or to the messenger, a transcendent being, one who speaks on behalf of the Lord. But this message wasn't directed to just anyone. This was addressed to the angel of the church, of the local assembly, of the called out group of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, where? In Philadelphia. Now, this this is not the city that is located three and a half hours from D.C. 
This isn't the same city containing the Liberty Bell or the Eagles football team. This is not the same city as the Philly cheesesteak. This is not the same city where Rocky Balboa ran the steps. This city was located of the province of Lydia in Western Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey. And what has been important to us as we go through these messages is to attempt to understand the background and see how the culture has influenced the church, something that continues to take place even today. The word for Philadelphia in the Greek means love of brother and or sister. This city was located 28 miles southeast of Sardis and got its name from King Attalus II, who reigned as king of Pergamos from 159 through 138 BC. Now you may ask yourself, how is it that this city was named after a king who was king of some other location. Well, according to many sources, the Romans attempted to turn Attalus II against his brother, Eumenes II, and when Attalus refused, he remained loyal to his brother. And the name of the city was named after the love of these two brothers. They were faithful to one another. Although relatively new, this city was known as being the center of the wine industry, the kind that gets better with age. This occurred due to the fact that the only crop that would produce in the soil was grapes. Another interesting aspect of this city is that it had a number of earthquakes which led to economic disasters. It had relatively few religious traditions and had about 10 gods and goddesses with cultic altars. Despite these few religious traditions, the Church of Philadelphia, though shared with the Church of Smyrna, the distinction of receiving nothing but praise from Christ as opposed to the others. This was Philadelphia. And John was commanded to address this church. Jesus tells him, you write. You are to write the words or the sayings. And look down, notice the five descriptions of Christ. The first one, he is to write the sayings of the Holy One the set-apart one, the one who defines what it means to be holy, the personification of purity and perfection. These are the words of the one who is sacred. But not only is this person holy, but this person is the true one, the one who is in accord with everything trustworthy, factual, who does not lie or deceive. 
He is right 100% of the time. He is accurate. He is verifiable. The only one who truly knows what the weather will be like tomorrow and for eternity. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, or any other false image or idol. He is holy, he is true, and he is the one, notice he says in verse 7, who has the key of David. Keys are used to unlock a door which has either been locked or shut. Keys in scripture express the idea of authority, power, and privilege. The name David refers to the royal lineage of King David. It was through the lineage of David whom the Messiah came. Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22 says this, And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. Fact. This is exactly what John mentions next as he writes, this is the one who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. This person is holy and true. This person, as within the context of Isaiah, has the authority granted to him in order to give salvation. This is Christ Jesus, the Messiah, he has the key of David. He has the keys to the kingdom. He opens and he closes. His words are authoritative. His words are true. He is the one who is in complete control. However, sometimes we forget who really is in control. I remember growing up, and of course, this was before the Lord had saved my father. And I was sitting in the room, he came in to give me one of life lessons on manhood. He closed the door so I knew it was going to be good. My mom had gone to the grocery store. He says, Ace, that's what he calls me, because I'm named after him, so. Being a man is taking responsibility for your actions. Don't wait for no one to give you anything. And when it comes to being a man, you have to run the household or be the manager. I have to be the one to delegate. I looked up at him, because at my young age, I wasn't quite sure what he was talking about. He continued, with you have to take lead, be in control of your house. I have to say what needs to be done and it gets done. The door opens and I hear my mom walk in from the grocery store. My dad's voice goes down from pit bull to chihuahua. Love, she calls out loud. He says, yeah, what is it? I need you to come help me with these bags. And after that, I need you to pull the car in the garage. And I need it done now because these bags are heavy. I looked up at my dad and he looked at me. All right, he starts walking out of the room. I raised my eyes up from looking at the ground to look at him and I said, 
guess you forgot. And I guess we both know who's in control, huh? I said this with a smile on my face as he walked out of the room. Now in life, we forget truly who's in control. And Jesus gives us these reminders over and over. I have the power. I provide for you. I can give you what can satisfy your deepest longings and desires, so come to me. Only Jesus Christ has the authority and only he can open and shut the gates of heaven. Only the true Messiah controls access to the royal household. He is powerful, he is sovereign, and family, if we want to be faithful, one thing we must remember is who's in control. John continues with his second instruction, and it is found in verse, verses 8 through 10 with remain committed. Verse 8 says, I know your works. There's nowhere to hide. This isn't a fabrication of my imagination. I know. I have a knowledge of your works, of your deeds. I know what you do. You think you are by yourself because the door is closed, but Jesus says, I know you. I know your heart. I know what you are thinking about. He knows right now some of you are already at lunch. He knows what some of us are truly expressing behind our masks. When someone asks you, maybe this is more for, for our young people, when someone asks you what you did and you say, oh, nothing, guess who knows? Jesus knows. He continues, behold, or look. He changes courses to draw our attention. Notice he says in verse 8, I have set before you, I have put before you, an open door. Once again, this is sharply different from how Jesus addressed some of the other churches. No sin needing to be called out, only encouragement. There is an open door. The door is to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has the keys and he has opened the door for this church. This brings us to a couple of thoughts. Number one, Jesus is in control of the door. Second, this door, Jesus says, is the one in which no one will shut. It was believed there was a local community who we find out as described as the synagogue of Satan, who made claims that they represented the true Israel, that they had the keys to the kingdom. They decided who would enter into paradise and who wouldn't. You have to do exactly what we say, and as we do, or you will not enter. Jesus knows exactly this church's situation. Now, Sometimes we go through challenges and hard situations. But during those times, we, remind, we do well to remind ourselves 
God isn't blind to our struggles. He isn't an absentee father. God does not need contacts, glasses, bifocals, or LASIK to correct his vision. He cares for his children. And he knows not only their temptations, but their trials as well. You are here, and you've been wondering where God is. I want to remind you that God knows. Remind yourself of who your father is. Remind yourself of what he has done through his son, Christ Jesus. Remind yourself of a situation where he has rescued you before, and please believe he can do it again. Not only does he know their works, but he also knows, notice he says, that you have but little power. You have a small, insignificant amount of authority. In the NIV, it says strength. You're the pick of the litter. You have a few resources, the runt of the pack, Joseph amongst his brothers. You're not really important, not an abundance of money or people. In fact, people wouldn't think twice to come visit. They would drive by with no thought in mind. He continues, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Ain't that an amen moment? This church has kept. They have consistently observed and been obedient to God's word. And they have not refused or renounced his name. They were bold unapologetically unashamed of the name of Christ. In other words, they were faithful. They may not have had all the lavish items. They may not have had all the millionaires and football players sit or entertainers sitting in their congregation. They may not have had all the screens or pastors writing books and known all over the world for their podcasts. No, but they were faithful. Faithfulness is not determined by how much money you have, possessions you keep, or the members you have. In fact, we do well to ask ourselves, is faithfulness evident in our lives? Is faithfulness evident in our lives? Are we more intrigued by the big names and the big places? Or are we impressed with faithfulness? <clears throat> where does faithfulness, where does our faithfulness show when we spend hours on the internet but minutes praying? Who or what are we faithful to? Are we more faithful in our complaining than our praising? Brothers, 
How would our wives describe our faithfulness? Ladies, are you more faithful to Instagram or gossip or your jobs than the word and prayer? Are we more faithful to television or being known for a political party? Are we more faithful to sin than we are to God? Even this week, where have we seen in our lives a lack of commitment to the Lord? Though they were small, though they were a new church, they were faithful. Trials may have come testing their faithfulness, but they were committed to guarding the gospel and being obedient in the midst of persecution. John continues with another interjection in verse 9. He says, Behold, look, pay attention. I will make, once again, Jesus showing his power. He says, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. Now, at this point, we receive more insight as to what has been occurring. There are those of the synagogue of Satan or the congregation of Satan. This isn't the first time, though, we have heard or have seen reference to the synagogue of Satan. In Revelation 2, verse 9, the church of Smyrna dealt with those who were a synagogue of Satan. They were persecuting the church, and they would make some bold claims. They were those who say they were Jews and are not, but lie. They were people claiming to be God's children, as the Jewish population was convinced by national identity and religious heritage that they were God's true people. Some of that we also see today when you have individuals saying and, and claiming to be Christians, but their lives don't match up. However, by persecuting his people and rejecting the Messiah, they have shown they have not kept his commandments and are of their father, the devil. Jesus says, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. This would be an act of repentance. They will come in submission. Those of the synagogue of Satan who believed that they had the control of opening and closing the doors of the kingdom of heaven will bow down at your feet. In the Old Testament, it was taught that the Gentiles would pay homage to the Jews at the eschaton, and now the promises had been reversed. Christ is promising persecuted Christians will be vindicated by the Father. In the book of Isaiah, the Gentiles were referred to as the unbelievers, but now Isaiah's Israel refers to God's faithful covenant people, which is the church, which has been revealed in Christ Jesus. He continues, and they will learn that I have loved you. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 4, 
says, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. The church of Philadelphia was faithful to the Lord. And because of their faithfulness, as a result, Jesus says in verse 10, because you, church of Philadelphia, have kept, you have continuously watched and protected my word about patient endurance. In other words, since you have kept my command to persevere, you have been obedient, Jesus is going to shower them with grace for the future. He says, I will keep you. I will guard you. I will protect you. This gives the implication something is going to come. Something is going to occur. Some event is going to happen. Jesus is going to keep them from what? He says next, the hour of trial. The hour or the time of temptations and trials. Jesus says, there is going to be a time where trials are going to come and Christ is going to be faithful to his people as they were faithful to him during their trials. Christ will continue to protect his people. Now, this period, This hour of trial is what many theologians refer to as the great tribulation. Some take this to mean Jesus will rescue his people from physical and spiritual trials, while others believe this is only referring to the spiritual. This is a period where Christ will reward the faithfulness of his church and defend them against all spiritual attacks. He is going to prepare his people, and give them what they need in order to continue to persevere. John 17, verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. This tribulation, this time of testing, hardship, and despair is coming. And it is coming upon whom? Jesus says that is coming upon the whole, the coming upon the whole world. This period is coming upon the whole world, the entire cosmos. And its purpose is what? Is to try those who dwell on the earth. Those who live upon the earth and the land. This hour of trial is directed toward the non-Christian world, the unsaved, idol worshipers, those who will not be kept by Christ. The Lord is going to avenge the blood of the righteous by judging those who dwell on the earth. This is a sobering moment because there may be some of you here today We're struggling with sin, not being faithful to the Lord. And he has been calling you, calling you to turn from wickedness, 
calling you to spend more time with him, to turn and devote your entire life to him. Deep inside, that still small voice, he's calling. And in fact, some of us may have family members who don't know Jesus, who have said, I want to just continue to live my life as I want, and I don't care about the repercussions. But Jesus says, turn to him. Believe in me. Be faithful to me as I will be to you. Why? Because the hour of trial is apparent. It is coming upon the entire world. Do not wait until the moment to believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Do not wait until tomorrow because tomorrow isn't promised. But for those of us who are believers, remain committed. Part of being faithful is remaining committed until the end. Now we know some of you may want to give up. Some of you have said, in fact, I'm done. Some of you are frustrated with life beyond measure but remain committed. We have looked at two of John's instructions to this church. Remember who's in control, remain committed, and Jesus now helps this church to continue to strive to be faithful by recalling his coming in verses 11 through 13. Verse 11 says this, I am coming soon. Jesus is coming. He is going to make all things new and right. For those of you who have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, doesn't this warm your heart? But this should also lead us to praying and evangelizing our family, our friends, proclaiming the gospel to the lost because he is coming soon and at that time it will be too late. Amen. This is a reference to his second coming. No one knows the day nor the hour when he will return. He continues with hold fast what you have. In other words, cling to what you have. Hold a tight grip. Now, this is not a command to hold tight to your possessions. Cling to what you have does not mean here holding tight to your house, your money, or you name it. The church is instructed to do this. Why? He says next, so that no one may seize your crown. Keep a tight grip so that no one may steal it. So that no one will take your crown, your reward, your prize, for exceptional service. In Revelation 2, the church of Smyrna was, record, was rewarded with the crown of life. Church of Philadelphia, hold fast, stay faithful, do not deny Christ's name, continue to be obedient, and you will have the crown of life. Temple Hills, hold fast, stay faithful, do not deny Christ's name, Continue to be obedient, and you will have the crown of life. Amen. 
The Christians in the church of Philadelphia have so far persevered through hardship, yet they must excel still more. Some of us, even within these last couple of years, have been struggling, whether on our jobs, physical ailments, our marriages, purity, pride, family members, relationships, finances, fill in the blank. It can be tough being a Christian. It's like you want to do the right thing, but you recognize evil is always present. But Jesus reminds this church, and he reminds us he will keep them spiritually safe through the trial, and he will strengthen them. And there is some encouraging news because some are going to persevere until the end. The rewarding factor is Christ reminds us that some will be victorious. Look with me now at verse 12. The one who conquers, the one who overcomes, the victorious one, The one who perseveres to the end, Jesus makes a promise. He says, I will make him a pillar. A pillar can be like a pole used to hold something up. It provides stability and permanence. He will make the person who overcomes a source of support. Where? In the temple of my God. Notice this is the first of four times Jesus makes it personal by saying, my God, or my Father. And he gives promises. Jesus has been entrusted and has the authority to use whatever means he wants for the upbuilding of his church. Now, there's a spoiler alert to this. None of what of the things that we hear about on television, whether it's the ideologies or whatever, will destroy Christ church. Amen. He Amen. will build his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. Amen. Nevertheless, Jesus says, never shall he go out of it. That is, he won't be removed. It will be secure. The overcomer's salvation and his place in Christ's kingdom is solidified. Jesus says, and I will write on him the name of my God. In other words, this pillar belongs to God. It is owned by God. And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, a place of peace, security, and what will it do? It will come down from my God out of heaven. Woo! I can't wait for the day. No more sickness. No more diseases. No more death. No more hatred. No more brokenness. God is going to make all things new. It will come down from God out of heaven. And notice he says, and my own new name, new security, new status, 
You think a new car is something. You think some new shoes and new clothes is something. What about a new name? Believers will have new names. Family, this, this city dealt with earthquakes, economic disasters, persecutions, yet they stayed faithful. Can Jesus look at our lives today and see faithfulness in every moment, in every hour of our lives? If not, let us cry out to him and ask him, Lord, help us to be more faithful. Help us in our unbelief. Verse 13, Jesus concludes with his standard conclusion, one in which he has given to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and now Philadelphia. He who has an ear, the one who has an ear, once again, not plural, the one who has the ability to listen, if you have an ear, let him, that is the person, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This wasn't only for Philadelphia. This is for the churches, even us today. So listen up. We have looked at three instructions John has given the church of Philadelphia to remain faithful in the midst of a turbulent world. He has done this by instructing them to remember who's in control. In verse 7, verses 8 through 10, remain committed. And lastly, verses 11 through 13, recall his coming. Now, I've been asked by many individuals why it is a challenge for me to read the biographies of individuals who are currently living. And I don't want to dismiss individuals actually going through different things, sharing their testimonies, how they have overcome a number of sins in their life and wrote it down in paper form and distributed it out. This is good. This isn't a bad thing. But often, I think to myself, how much more beneficial it would be to read about individuals at the end of their lives, to hear of individuals within the church who have walked faithfully with the Lord for years and years, overcoming obstacles, still persevering in the Lord. This is what we would see as faithful. This individual has still walked with the Lord despite setbacks. Now the question is, what will be said about our lives? Because we are still here and the story is still being written. Will our church be faithful? Will we be faithful? Because we can know a lot of theology and still be unfaithful. Listen, if you are like me, and you see how unfaithful you have been to the Lord, this is you, then let us cry out to Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, help me to be more faithful. Help us to see our inconsistencies and our biases. Amen. 
Help us to be more faithful to the Lord. Because guess what? The Lord is going to be faithful. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Family, faithfulness is often not discovered in the here and now, but it is determined over the longevity of time. Start with the small. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. So as we leave this place today, let us strive to be faithful. We're going to stick in with one another for the long haul. That we, it's going to be some things that we have to wrestle through. And we're going to do it with God's help as a faithful family. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for this reminder to be faithful, Lord. Lord, so often we want to give up and throw in the towel. And this world has made it easy for us to give up whether it's in marriages, whether it's in jobs and relationships. It's even got to the point where we have learned not to be faithful to our churches, where we can just say, oh, I'm leaving and go find another church for no justifiable reason. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to see the areas in our lives where we've been more faithful to the things of the world and not faithful to you. Convict our hearts even now. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.